0: Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. How do I find God's will for my life? And i tell you what, if I have gotten that question once, I have gotten it dozens and dozens of times. When I served as a college minister... And even here at the seminary, man, in the mission center, we answer that question or help students answer that question all the time. And today, we're going to dig into issues of calling.
1: Well, it's Easter season, and that gets us in the mood for lots of things. The resurrection of Jesus being most important, but also... Uh, an Easter offering. So today we're joined again by Sandy Wisdom Martin, who was with us a few weeks ago. Sandy is the Executive Director of the National WMU, or Women's Missionary Union. Sandy, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back. In the past, we've talked about Annie Armstrong and what the WMU is. Today we're going to talk about the Annie Armstrong Easter
2: offering. Can you tell us what that Easter offering actually supports? The Annie Armstrong Easter Offering supports missions in North America. So every state in the United States is touched by the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering. What's great about Annie is that all of it goes to the field to help plant churches, to help tell people about Jesus. None of it goes to administrative costs. So when you give to the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering, if you give a dollar to Annie, a dollar goes to the field to help lost people know about Christ. I have given to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering since I was a child. I can't remember not ever given to Annie and her counterpart, Lottie, when it comes time for international missions. I have always been passionate about what we do together. My mother called me a few months ago. I was on my way to Arkansas for an assignment, and she said, will you come to Illinois on Sunday? And i was finishing my assignment in arkansas saturday night i thought i could get up early sunday morning and make it to southern illinois get back to memphis by midnight i had to be in an assignment in mississippi monday morning it was hard illinois was the opposite direction but it was doable my mom wanted me to come to a baptismal service at lake salatiska which was about 20 minutes from our home two candidates were being baptized a college student and a 60-year-old man. And the testimony of the 60-year-old man was that he walked the aisle when he was a child, but it wasn't a real transformation experience. But things had happened in his life in the last year, and he began re-examining his life. And the baptism was his public testimony to follow Christ relentlessly for the rest of his days. He was going to a church plant of a church plant in rural Illinois tiny churches, but they had received some church planting funds. Like I said, I've always been passionate about what we do together, but I was standing on the shores of that lake thinking, how did we get here today? It was the work of a church plant, of a church plant, it was the work of my home association, Nine Mile Baptist Association in Southern Illinois. It was the partnership work of a state convention, Illinois Baptist State Association. It was also the influence of the president of the North American Mission Board, who actually mentored this church planter when he was in seminary. Uh-huh. He attended Kevin Nazell's church, and Kevin poured into him and mentored him. And I, I, I was just so touched standing there on the shores thinking, how many people went into these two candidates being baptized? But why I'm so passionate about the Annie Armstrong Easter offering is the man that was being baptized was my brother. Oh, wow. Every dime I've ever given to Annie, my whole life was worth it to see my brother baptized. I am passionate about what we do together as Southern Baptists to share light with those who are lost. Wow, what an
1: amazing story of how Southern Baptists working together across conventions, across the states, uh, across NAM and our various organizations um, can, can result in someone coming to know the Lord. That's an incredible story. Thank you for sharing. So let's talk a little bit more about the specifics of this offering. Yes. Um, this year, Do you happen to know what our goal is? Our goal is $70 million. Wow. And do you think it's possible for us to reach
2: it? I think it is possible for us to reach it. If you would like to promote Annie in your own church, you can get materials from your state WMU office. They can send you prayer guides and envelopes, and posters. You can also go to AnnieArmstrong.com, and you can pull off videos that you can show at your church, and other resources are available there. What we do together as Southern Baptists makes a difference.
1: Yeah, thanks. thank you so much for sharing. Um, and if you guys have more questions about the uh, Annie Armstrong offering. Do know that many churches around the area are going to take up their own offering, but if your church is not taking up up an offering, Southeastern is. If you feel compelled to give, but your church is not taking up an offering, feel free to go to our webpage, sebts.edu, and go to the Give page and look how to give there. The link to giving will also be in the information about this podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today.
0: So, welcome everyone to the Scent Life today. We're really excited about what we're going to be doing. Uh, Looking forward to our time together today. Scott, how are you doing with us?
3: I'm doing really well. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Man, today should be really, really fun. Like you said uh, in the introduction, the hook, um, if there's a question we get more than anything else, is how in the world do you know God's will for your life? You know, as a missionary, Someone uh, who's in Christian ministry, we think about knowing God's will, but we also think about how we define that. And we use this word calling. God called me to the ministry. God's called me to missions. When someone says, How do you know you're supposed to go to this country? God called me to this country. It's a real um, hyper spiritual sounding phrase. Right. uh, But we try to boil it down and give some handles.
0: Yeah, one of the things that really excites me about the topic today is the fact that I know a lot of the people who listen to our podcast are the kind of folks who have to answer this question for others. And so you may be listening right now thinking, how do I answer that question? Or you may be somebody that serves in a ministry role and your job is helping others answer that question. And so today we're actually hoping to provide both of you with some helpful material.
3: That's right. We got the expert from our campus Uh, To help us answer that question, Dr. Scott Pace, who's the dean of our college, he's also recently written a book called Answering God's Call, Finding, Following, and Fulfilling God's Will for Your Life. And so Scott Pace is in the Scent Life studio today as we talk about God's call and how that makes a difference in our ministry, how we can know it. And um, so anyway, welcome, Scott Pace. Appreciate you being here with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Really glad to be here.
0: Yeah, so I'm Really looking forward to this one today, Scott. I'm glad that you've joined us for it. Uh, As we had said earlier, uh, this is a question that comes up all the time. And Mm -hmm. I mean, we work here at a seminary, and one of our jobs is helping all of our students think through and discern what it is the Lord would have them do in order to fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, But if you're listening to this and you're a pastor, you're out there answering this question all the time as well. And if you're just sitting in a pew somewhere, Mm -hmm. like you have to answer it for yourself, right? right. And so, what I want to do today is kick into uh, your particular book here, Answering God's Call, and you unpack this idea for us of calling. So yeah. let's just begin at the beginning. Yeah. What is calling?
4: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the, the word calling, as we use it, has largely historically maybe been reserved for kind of a special group, a, 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 what we might not even dare to call an elitist group, a spiritual varsity, if right. you will. Um, and really, in Scripture, it's not used that way at all. There's certainly uh, a general universal calling of for all believers who are called to serve and surrender to Christ their will like God what is your will for my life and then that involves the great commission and our our progressive our sanctification our growing in godliness and that's a universal call so we're all called to live on mission and i think that we've done a great job in recent years maybe even decades of emphasizing every member of ministry we're all called to live on mission and at the same time what that's done is it's a little bit Neutralized, a specific or individual call. So I'll put it in two categories. There's the universal call for all believers, and then there's the unique call for each individual believer. And that's what the real question comes from, from church members or students. like, what is God's calling on my life? I want to know the unique calling. And so I think we have to have the conversation woven together where we recognize the universal calling, but we also affirm that there's a unique calling for every individual believer.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, one of the things that I very frequently see, I, I very rarely, I, in fact, I can't think of a time I've ever had a student sit down with me, and what they're really after is the answer to the first part of that right. question, isn't it? Nope. They always want to nope. jump to that second. So putting that foundational understanding of a universal calling in front of the unique mm-hmm. calling. I think that's crucial. I think yep. it's key for us to be able to build any kind of ministry platform, any kind of specific understanding of a pathway that God would yep. have us on. Uh, but when we get to that next question, Unique when everybody's calling. asking, yeah. uh, how do we get to that last one?
4: Yeah, it's interesting. When you look at Scripture, uh, I love the the passage where Paul begins to defend his calling somewhat to the Galatians as he's kind of uh, validating his ministry, why they should listen to him instead of the false teachers. As he recounts his calling, he actually uses that as it relates to what God who called me, set me apart from my mother's womb, this calling he describes, he talks about this, this personal uh, discernment um, between him and the Lord, uh, that it was revealed from Christ, not by any man. So it has to come within the context of a relationship with him. He talks about how he went away into Arabia uh, for an extended period of time, and I think that speaks to not him hibernating to get alone with God and hear a special revelation, yeah. but more of I, I think I'm being called to, to the serve of the Gentiles let me go exercise those gifts a little bit. All Let right. me go see how my gifts really do play out in the missional context I think I'm discerning. And then he went up and, uh, to Jerusalem and talked with Peter. And he didn't need Peter's stamp of validation or authorization. It was talking to another person who had experienced a similar calling and comparing notes a little bit, right? And so I think when you look at kind of that personal, private, and public levels of affirmation, that's where you really have to have, pursue it. So in your personal walk with God— um, through your exercising of your ministry gifts, beginning to kind of discern and flex those muscles a little bit, and then the public affirmation of other believers speaking into, those things weave together, and I think they don't have to come in any sequential order. They kind of come maybe in process as you kind of work through one, you're working with the other. So some people describe that as the internal um, you know, kind of calling and the external calling. That's how I kind of work through it uh, in terms of that personal,
0: private, and public affirmation. Uh, in fact, I think it's a great framework. You very rarely hear people who, who bring up the fact that Paul spent that time. Yeah, yeah. You don't hear about that too much. But no. it's in there. It's right, it's, it's right exactly, in there, isn't it? Yeah,
4: and it, was, it wasn't because he was hibernating in a cave right. and trying to—it really was so he could begin to exercise that gift. And I think God kind of formed his
0: heart and sharpened his giftedness through that. Yeah. So in addition to that, so I, if we wanted to camp out on that idea mm-hmm. of spending some time kind of thinking through personally right. uh, this sense of calling— uh, what are some practical ways that somebody might be able to start experimenting with that? Perhaps? Yeah, it's
4: interesting. I think um, I always start where you are. Do the last thing you know God told you to do. Hmm. So where are you serving right now? Sometimes we feel like, man, i gotta, I got to change everything to go figure it out. And it's actually, no, God knows exactly where you are, and he's going to lead you from there hmm. forward. And so as you begin to kind of, if you're the church, in other words, the church you're currently serving at, Look for a place, a place to plug in into the ministries there. Love it. Devote yourself and dedicate yourself fully to that. And that, that gives you some freedom, has trusted voices, you're within the community of faith, all those things that can kind of keep you uh, in bounds, if you will, and not wandering too far out. So I would, I would start where you are uh, and those types of things. I, I definitely would begin to um, have some open and honest dialogue and conversations with the people who know you best and care about you the most, uh, but who also will tell you the truth. And those are the ones that you can ask the hard questions. Do you Mm -hmm. see this in me? I'm sensing this. Uh, You've got to be able to to have that. And then practically speaking, um, I think, man, if I have somebody who comes to me and says, I think I'm called to missions, first thing I tell them, go on a mission trip. Hmm. Right? Like if, if you think you're called to something, begin to dabble in that area to where you say, all right, let me test the waters a little bit. And God will either use that in a miraculous way to go, hey, this was a great trip, I'm affirming in, in you that you've been obedient and faithful, but this is not what I'm called to, to to a lifetime, or he will absolutely cement it through, this is this is what satisfies and fulfills me more than anything else. And that sounds subjective, but quite honestly, our individual relationship with the Holy Spirit is objectively measured through Scripture, but
0: it's subjectively experienced in, in, in yeah, personal certainly. and in fellowship with him. Certainly. So, Almost a level of dabbling for the sake of discernment, right? Exactly.
4: That's a great word, Keelan, I think is really important. We look at God's will for our lives more historically. We've talked about it in a discovery language. Right. And I think it's discernment more so than Mm. discovery. Discovery, I think of the guy that's on the beach with a metal detector, you know, scanning and hoping he stumbles into it, whereas discernment is the guy who has the map, who doesn't know necessarily the destination, but he knows next steps. What are the next steps that I need to take that are right in front of me? And God
0: will direct that path. That sounds familiar, right? Yeah. God begins to direct that path as you go. Yeah, well, and one of the things that you said there, uh, there's a level of proactivity. Mm-hmm. So in the discovery frame that you just mentioned— I feel like it's easy to sit back and wait for something to happen to you, perhaps. No doubt.
4: Yeah. Whereas,
0: if discerning is what we're after, we're we're looking for the next step, and then we take it.
4: Yeah, and do you think think about think how people describe this as as almost like you're wandering through this maze and that discovery connotation? Where I'm just going to keep going until God stops me and redirects me rather than being intentional about which path you choose Hmm. now and on the front end. And that's where the discernment comes in. Where I do think we have some of the clearly elements of God's revealed will that are clearly stated in Scripture that we can lean in and leverage to. And it kind of becomes that Karate Kid experience where we didn't realize that we were learning karate, but God's given us those steps to take, if you follow my metaphor there, my use there. But I think that's where um, we, we, we begin to lean into some of those revealed things rather than, like you said, passively wandering through life, waiting for God to kind of you know, knock us upside the head or redirect our path or suddenly interrupt our lives um, like a Damascus Road type of experience. And I don't think that's how God's designed it for us
0: as believers now. you know. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So let's shift gears just a bit then. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking some about how I might take those steps practically uh, to, to discern my own calling. Um, for those who are listening, whose job it is to help shepherd others toward a sense of calling. So church leadership, you've got pastors. Perhaps you have other missionaries that are on the field that have yeah. a relationship with their sending church, and, and they're looking to mobilize people to the nations. Mm-hmm. Um, What is the responsibility there, and how do we steward that responsibility to our congregation?
4: Yeah, man, really important question. I think we've drifted away from uh, by way of intentionality and really being deliberate in our extending that call. We we describe it kind of as calling out the called. And um, so many times I think we we have that universal approach or lead foot in the conversation uh, with what God's calling us to collectively all believers, that universal calling. In reality, we need to be intentional to say, perhaps maybe God is calling you individually, uniquely to this vocational capacity. You know, the word vocation comes from a Latin term, vocation, that literally just means calling. And we use it as a career term, whereas the, the, the root of it is actually meant as much more than simply a career path that earns a paycheck. It's what God created you for and intended you for and has called you to. And that's where I think we've got to, be willing to lean in a little bit and and be bold enough to challenge people to consider what is God calling me to. What is my individual unique purpose in that? So that's where it starts. And then I think as we shepherd them through that, we begin to to kind of walk them through what it's going to take. If this is your calling, how can I be prepared and equipped to fulfill that? What are the tools that I need in my toolbox? How spiritually, how should I best prepare? What does that mean for me as I pursue a family, maybe for someone who's not married yet, or maybe looking or wondering, is, am I called to sing with Like what role that plays in it and how mm-hmm. the calling influences that to your finances, how you need to be prepared to go at the moment when God calls you to those things. Um, and uh, all those very stewardship responsibilities of our gifts, talents, resources,
0: uh, we have to shepherd them towards that calling. Yeah, so I'm hearing you say uh, that this is a pretty important task then. It's a pretty important responsibility that you have when you're in ministry leadership to, yep. uh, to call people toward this idea.
4: It, we're You know, we're facing a, a crisis of sorts. It hasn't been trumpeted yet when we look at kind of national statistics or surveys or places we're putting emphasis. But when you look at the average age of pastors and ministry leaders, they're quickly aging out, and we have a, a real void of a generation where we don't see ministry leaders this age group and when if we don't begin to raise up this next generation towards that end we're going to have a a spiritual you know absence there's there's none there. there 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 anybody
0: isn't anybody to lead yeah there seems to be a, a looming vacuum mm-hmm. of uh, ministry leadership yep. that may be around the corner when i was so in my role prior to here i was right. serving in association of leadership out in houston and I got into the habit and practice of asking our pastors in our association when we would sit down and talk uh, about—they all wanted to talk about how do we send more missionaries or how do we get involved in church planning or how do we do multiplication. It's a a hot topic right now, and it should be. Uh, But one of the questions I would frequently ask them specifically was, when was the last time anywhere in your service, Mm. uh, application in your sermon, uh, a particular moment in an invitation, if you still even have those, where you said uh, maybe the Lord's calling you to be a pastor? or a church planter, or a missionary, anything. Yeah, yeah. The, maybe the Lord's calling you to be, fill in the blank. And the vast majority would say, you know, we've not done that in a really long time. Some would even be convicted about it yeah. just by asking the question. Yep. Because the realization would land on them that, and again, kind of coming full circle here, you brought this up a second ago, we've leaned so heavy of late into uh, exalting the universal calling, mm-hmm. which is not a bad thing. I know. It's absolutely true. But we've leaned so heavy into that that— Perhaps we threw the baby out with the bathwater. We've neutralized the unique
4: calling, for sure. And I I think um, when you consider the responsibility we have to train up leaders, I mean, that is, in essence, what God gave us to the church for. It was to, right, it is to to disciple um, the members for ministry. And some of that's going to involve elevating them to a particular vocational calling uh, of sorts. And so uh, we've got that responsibility. If we don't do it, I, I really, you mentioned kind of that looming vacuum Man, it's, it's on us. It's on us. Uh, we have churches contact us every day looking for leaders. I was talking to an associational leader uh, last week who said, man, I've got 12 churches in my association who are without pastors right now, mm-hmm. and we can't even find people to do pulpit supply. Like the desert is upon us. We yeah. are on the fringe of the wilderness uh, in
0: terms of ministerial leadership. Yeah, I think that's right. So I'm fixing to lob you a softball here. Okay, All right. uh, Here we are talking about the importance of mm-hmm. local church leadership, people who are in some form of ministry influence over others, right. uh, to call out the called. Mm. Well, from what I understand, it just so happens that you have a book coming out with Shane Pruitt here soon, yep. Calling Out the Called. Talk yeah. to me a bit about
4: that. Yeah, I couldn't be more excited about this. As Shane and I have talked about this very issue that you and I are discussing Um, we've looked at and and heard from a lot of ministry leaders, how can we do this better? What are some practical things we can do to call out the call? And you mentioned some of them, whether it be in invitations, if you historically have that, or simply mentoring individuals or or, um, being intentional to talk about this as a possibility. But then if they say yes, this was the other part of the conversation we've heard a lot of leaders say. If they say yes, I'm not sure what to do with them. I don't Mm -hmm. have a a resource or, or something to equip them with. And so this book kind of serves a dual purpose is to challenge current ministry leaders to help call out the called and that when they do, here's a manual, if you will, a walk to, walkthrough manual so you can mentor and guide people. Here's some tools for your toolbox. Spiritually, the formation is going to be the same, but by way of the higher standards of scriptural qualifications and then expectations and things that they just won't otherwise be prepared for Uh, This book is going to be going to walk through some of those topics and themes and help put some tools in the tool belt um, of those who are called to ministry leadership. So, yeah, that's coming out November 1st this year. Uh, So LifeWay's putting it out. We're going to partner with uh, Nam Southeastern, and um, we're hopefully going to be putting those resources in a lot of people's hands in an effort to help call out the call.
0: Well, that's fantastic news. We are excited about that book. I, for one, am certainly looking forward to seeing that uh, because you're right – Every time I'd ask that question, I would have kind of the immediate follow-up. of being I, mean, I don't know what I'd do if I did start asking that question. Right. And had a number of guys that would say to me, like, I'm, I'm really fear- – I know that I should. I'm right. fearful to start because I don't know what we're going to do when it comes to walking people through mm-hmm. that. So I want to encourage everybody that's listening to this, if that's a spot that you're in – Yep. Pick up a copy of the book yep. when it comes out in November. I'm yep. looking forward to reading it myself. Yep, Scott, thank you so much for your time with us today. It was really an encouragement to hear about this. Uh, we look forward to uh, seeing that resource when it lands. Yeah, man. And thankful for your work here.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Great uh, to be on here. love this conversation and hope this just kind of continues to build into a broader conversation
0: for churches and ministry leaders. So thanks for having me. All right. That's it for today, folks. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate our listeners, and we'd love to encourage you. Share this with others if you find that it has been helpful for you. Uh, You can like us. You can follow us. You can find us on all the regular places on social media, on Twitter and Facebook and those kind of places. So make sure to uh, spread the news, and uh, we'll catch you next time.
5: Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary exists to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, we offer over 40 degrees, ranging from a Bachelor of Arts to a Doctor of Philosophy. The Master of Divinity is Southeastern's flagship degree for anyone seeking to be thoroughly equipped to serve their local church through a variety of ways. Since 1950, Southeastern has grown its student body to more than 5,000 students who seek to minister in the US and around the world. We believe that theological education is more than just building knowledge. It's about becoming who God has called you to be. No matter how God is calling you to serve, Southeastern will come alongside you and help you to grow in your faith and go to reach the lost. If you're interested in learning more, check out sebts.edu to find out how God might be calling you to go next. Use the code THESENTLIFE, all caps, no spaces, and Southeastern will waive your application fee.
3: Welcome back. We have uh, Dr. George Robinson in our studio now for our Out of the Tower segment. Uh, George, what do you got for us this week?
6: Yeah, this week we're going to be talking through entry strategies. Okay. And so the International Mission Board defines the core missionary task as this process that every believer should be living on where we enter into new places where we evangelize where we make disciples where we gather those disciples together develop leaders and then uh forge partnerships to exit right and so entry strategies there uh you know I think about when I was serving in South Asia mm-hmm. uh, I didn't know anybody when I hit the ground there um and so I had to engage people that I did not know. And when I was engaging those people, I was looking for what some uh, people in missions call a person of peace. And so a person of peace is a person who welcomes the messenger, who is open to the message, and then helps to get the message out. And so even today, I was emailing with someone who's going back to that same area That I worked in nearly 20 years ago, and he was asking, do you have any contacts? And I said, oh, I've got this person of peace. Hmm. He's not yet a believer, but he not only welcomed me, he was open to discussing the message of the gospel Hmm. and open to helping me get the message out, so much so that he used his relationships uh, to give me re- new relationships with every elder in all of the villages wow. uh, in that surrounding region. So entry strategies, we need to look for a person of peace if um, if we're going to work in an area where we don't know anyone. And then second uh, entry strategy is that of a circle of influence or okay. what some people call an oikos. Yep. Uh, the Greek word, not Greek yogurt, <laughs> but uh, the Greek word oikos. And so looking for a circle of influence. And, and so whenever a person uh, comes to faith in Christ or I'm discipling them and trying to help them to engage people with the gospel, I tell them to think through where they live, where they work, and where they play. Okay, um, And then to identify key people where they live, work, and play that are near to them relationally, mm-hmm. but far from God. And so if you can map that out, and begin to pray intentionally for people where you live, work, and play, then what's going to happen is not only will you be praying uh, for them to hear the gospel, but you yourself will be sensitive to the Spirit's work uh, in their lives, and you'll be more likely to engage them with the
3: gospel. That's great. So we got the person of peace. Right. we got the oikos or the relationship chain that we've got. Both of those are great ways that um, any of us, anywhere that God places us, can start uh, some type of movement of the gospel in the community that God places us in.
6: That's right, Dr. Hildreth. I I remember landing in uh, one of the largest megacities in the world and meeting with the missionary there. He was training actually a team from here at Southeastern. And we're sitting out in the midst of just a mass of humanity. And he said, look, I want to make this simple for you. He said, there are only two kinds of people you'll meet in the city. Uh, there are people that you know and people that you don't know. And you're not likely to run into a whole lot of people you know. So the strategy is you're looking for a person of peace. And sure enough, that week we actually found some persons of peace, and there were house churches that were started out of the work that was done that week.
3: Wow. Amen. That's great. what unlocked your your a new area, new territory. Thanks for being with us this week, George. Appreciate it. I'm
6: glad to be here. Take care.